Meme, I'll drink if you drink. <laughs> Am I allowed to go get a drink? Do I have time? Is yeah. That, is that okay? Please, you're, it's encouraged. All right, we're back. All right. On the flight deck, crews are now manning for the next launch. Time to clear the flight deck and catwalks. Stand well clear of all jet blasts, prop arcs, and exhaust. Time to start up the go aircraft. Let's start them up. Hi, I'm Dave Veronic, call sign bio. I was an F-14 Rio and Top Gun instructor, and I'm one of your hosts for the F-14 Tomcast. Now, the Tomcat has starred in several full-length movies, and today we're talking about the only one that was a true story, Speed and Angels. Released in 2008, Speed and Angels is a documentary about two fighter pilots going through F-14 training near the end of the Tomcat's U.S. Navy service. And I'm Craig Snyder, call sign Crunch, and I was an F-14 pilot and Top Gun instructor as well, and I'm your other host here on the F-14 Tomcast. Now, our guests today are both former Tomcat pilots. Paco Chirichi, he was the driving force behind the movie Speed and Angels, and Megan Vargas Flanagan was one of the stars billed as Megan Varley. All right, so Paco and Vargas, both of you, welcome to the F-14 Tomcast. Happy to be here. Thanks for having us. All right. Well, great. We'll tell you what. Let's start off with just we always like to set a little baseline so our audience knows wh- what you get, where you guys are from, what's going on. Megan, let's start with you. Uh, where are you from? How'd you get commissioned? And how'd you get into naval aviation? And most importantly, how'd you get into the F-14? Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm originally from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I now call Whitefish, Montana hometown. So I, I've upgraded. I love Pittsburgh, but Whitefish, it's the best town in the world. Um, but grew up in Pittsburgh and uh, had no desire to be in the military or fly or anything. And then I saw, uh, you know, some people heard of it, a movie called Top Gun, about 10 years old, pretended to be sleeping, stayed up, got to see all the scenes, if you know what I mean. Um, and, and while I liked them all, the dogfighting scenes were the ones that I just was like, ooh. I don't know what's going on here, but I like this. Um, And I declared to my parents the next morning that I was going to be a fighter pilot. Um, And then, you know, at the time, women were not allowed to fly fighters. Didn't know it. Um, Luckily, my parents came back, you know, and they said, you can go to this place called Naval Academy. And when you graduate, you can be a fighter pilot. So I said, I'm going to go do that. (laughs) A little bit more path in there in the middle, but went to Naval Academy, graduated, uh, went on to flight school. And then I just, I had very lucky timing and I snagged one of the last four Tomcat spots before they sun down the pipeline. So went through uh, training in the Tomcat final combat deployment uh, in a big fighter. Um, super, super lucky. That's awesome. That's awesome. So where'd you go to school? Naval you went Academy. to the Naval Academy? Oh, school. Can you, you? I think I knew that. What class were you? Which <laughs> class were you? 2002. I was an aerospace astronautical track major. 2002. Gotcha. Crunch, what class were you, Crunch? I was 93. All right. All right. Respectable difference there. <laughs> I got I got like some salt and pepper on the side there to show my age. Uh, Paco, how about you? I and I are not going to tell what year we graduated. Yeah. Um, I was uh, ROTC at Boston University. That's the way to go, by the way, because you can still be a college student and not a prisoner. Um and uh, I had no military or aviation experience in my family, so I just uh, I really needed the money for school, uh, and the scholarship obviously helped that. Um, and then the summer uh, between my sophomore and junior year, 
I got a backseat ride on F-14 out in Myanmar on a Wednesday. <laughs> Wait a minute. How did you get that? Was it was well, it on a midshipman cruise, you mean, training? or? Yeah, it was the summer. It was summer courtship mid. I don't know if they still call yeah, it that. Oh, yeah. Or, yeah, yeah, we uh, did that. Okay, sorry. Yeah. So, you know, some guys got S3s, some guys got T-34s, you know, whatever. I, like Megan said, I mean, luck is everything. I got uh, a backseat ride on F-14 at Miramar on a Wednesday. Uh, and Wednesday means something, it's certainly back then. Um, so, you know, I got to go up with, uh, and it's a really good story, but it was the guy who ended up being, I found out a year later, the lead coordinator uh, for the F-14 in uh, the movie Top Gun. His name is Lloyd Bozo Abel. Um, he never said anything about the movie. It was his first flight back in a month. Uh, we went out, did some very uh, light acro, and then a, a, a nugget joined up, and we did some really light BFM, and then we came back, and uh, I, you know, I had a flight suit with no patches on it, and they, the, the nugget gave me his jacket. We went to the club, and I was just like, "This is the greatest day of my life." <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then, uh, you know, I graduated school, went to uh, went to flight school, um, and I got selected for A sixes, which is great. I mean, I, I was my second choice, but I. I um, I enjoyed my tour in A6s, and then uh, my squadron got decommissioned, and I focused myself, uh, uh, you know, to the greatest extent possible to get myself a transition. I think my package for the transition was like over 100 pages long, endorsements from CAG and other squadron CEOs and stuff like that. And uh, I got picked up, obviously, for the transition, went through the RAG on the East Coast, but I was up in 213 for my uh, squadron tour, um, and uh, it was awesome. So you went from A6s to Tomcats, and you said you were in 213. Is that right? What year are we talking about now? Uh, 93 to 96. 93 to 96. Okay. Yep. And so then, uh, so uh, what happened after that? Is that, I think you got out of the, got out of the Navy about that, right? Or what Yeah. Happened? Yeah. I, I was going to have to go do a year of uh, shore duty and then back out to sea because I did back-to-back sea tours. So for, uh, for a variety of reasons, I chose to leave active duty and, uh, and jump into the reserve. So I flew F5s for another 10 years as an adversary, which turned out to be the best thing ever. It was amazing. Yeah, um, that's yeah. that's amazing flying right there. That's awesome. Yeah, it was great. Cool. Awesome. And Megan, how about you? So uh, which, which squadrons were you in? I was in 213 with you, Crunch. Um, yeah. yes, it's very intimidating. Um, 213 for about three and a half years. Excellent timing, combat deployment in the Tomcat, came home, transitioned to the you know, the latest block, Super Hornet, dual joint helmet, all the, all the Gucci stuff. Uh, flew that for about two years. Went and did an aid tour for two years out of Norfolk. Shockingly, one of the best tours I had, my, uh, my boss, Rear Admiral Mark Benzel, call sign Benz. He was an S3 guy. One of the best officers I ever had the privilege of working with. So just actually had a really good aid tour, which is not normal. Um, oh, very nice. Was, That's great to hear. Yeah. yeah, it was awesome. He was like, he was a facilities guy. So the, the op tempo wasn't bad and he was just spectacular. Um, and then I went and became a rag instructor after that at 106, and I was a rag instructor in the Super Hornet and the Hornet. Um, had a baby at the end of that tour, had screened for department head, said, Will you let me do anything else because I want to have some more kids? And they said, Nope. And I said, See ya. <laughs> so I went to the reserves um, and didn't do a flying, didn't want to go a flying reserves because I was going to be working a more traditional job, so I wouldn't be able to fly regularly. And the time away from the cockpit when I was pregnant, I knew proficiency was something I thought was fairly important. So, um, but I'm still in the reserves now. Uh, I just hit 20 uh, commander and I um, still enjoy that time. So I'll be staying in for the, at least the immediate future. Hey, congratulations. Well, 
Yeah, very nice. You know what? But that that's that's a hard saying. Proficiency is very important. That's like okay, right. you know, that's yeah. a truism. Yeah. I was like, I don't want to be flying these things like once a month, you know, with rag students. I just <laughs> that doesn't seem like the yeah. answer. I don't want to do a bull oh, yeah. face every time I fly. I'll tell you what, man. I just, I just started flying F5s again with TAC Air. Holy Moses. I hadn't flown F5s in 14 years, I think. And uh, it was a very whoa, whoa, whoa. short How old are you? Train. 14 years? I mean, because I'm, I'm young. I'm, and I remember I'm, when you flew them. I'm 56. And you're not as young as you think you are. <laughs> <laughs> you're just younger. <laughs> Forever. Hey, before we before we get too far away, I mean, you guys both have incredible, interesting careers and, and great flying careers and, and uh, you know, but, but Paco, you had uh, the A6 time. How many A6 hours did you have? And when you switched to Tomcats, did that help you? Like, especially, you know, was it a Grumman airplane, a Grumman airplane, you know, the fuel system or what? So talk yeah. about that a little bit. So I had a full tour in A6s. I did a, a full workups, cruise workups. Um, and I had about, uh, I think it was 800 hours or so in the, in the A6. Um, and yes, it helped a huge amount going over the Tomcat. I... I mean, like you said, the systems are were almost identical. All the buttons look the same. You know, obviously the plane is dramatically different, but the guts of it were very similar. Um, and the other thing that really helped was that all of my instructors were guys I went through the training command with, or I was on deployment with. So it was it was very collegial. I I, um, I had a great time. The, like the F the year I was in the F fourteen rag was probably one of the mo- the most fun years I had in the Navy. I just really enjoyed it. I was finally flying the plane that I always wanted to fly. And it was with, you know, my buddies and it was perfect. You know, I, I made this point in um, when I've talked about this before, because when I went back through the rag after, you know, especially after being a Top Gun instructor and you see all the rag instructors, a few of them came through Top Gun and stuff. So it is collegial, but it's Mm -hmm. not like they cut you slack. I mean, I think that's an important point to make for the audience because you're, especially like on your NATOPS test, you got to have, you know, a hundred percent verbatim and in simulators. So, but, but it is, uh, it's kind of fun working with people that you really know. And, and yeah. And like, I mean, there's, there's a lot of hidden stressors in there, which maybe are not obvious to your point. I didn't want to embarrass myself. Right. Like I, I didn't want to, I was the guy that had 800 fleet hours and 200 traps. Uh, I didn't want to embarrass myself with the nuggets and with my instructor peers. Um, and you know, I think I, I, it made me work uh, on different things a lot harder than perhaps I would have before, but it also just eliminated so much of the stress about whether or not I could do this. I, I kind of knew I could do the big picture stuff, um, but cool. I didn't want to, I didn't want to embarrass myself on the little stuff. So that's, that's I cool. did put a lot of work into it. So Crunch, did we have anything else to talk to these guys about? Or is that, yeah, is that basically that's I think it? That's it. We're a nice interview. Thanks for coming. Hey, thanks, thanks everybody. Have a, good, have a good weekend. Cheers. <laughs> well, hey, so um, let's get to the movie first. Paco, tell us a little bit about the backstory. Okay. So the backstory of the movie is, um, well, I mean, it could take, it could be an incredibly long story, but the, the synopsis of it is I had wanted to tell the story of naval aviation from our point of view, from the, the naval aviators' point of view, for many years, you know, Top Gun, we all love and hate Top Gun in our business, right? It's like, it makes us uh, familiar to the world, but it's also so um, unrealistic uh, in 95% of, of the way it portrays us. Um, so I had wanted to tell our story in a, in a more realistic and, and still dramatic way. And I had written a screenplay, which was horrible. I read it a little while ago and it was just pathetic, but I really was determined to do this. And um, 
one day I walked into, uh, I went to a documentary, a surfing documentary with a good buddy of mine. And I don't surf, but this documentary blew me away. Just the way it pulled you into the story of surfing and the community of surfers and the visual storytelling. Um, and I literally, I walked out of that documentary. I was on the sidewalk and I called uh, Peyton Wilson, who Megan knows very well, who was a very good friend of mine at the time, who is a, a director. And I said, Peyton, I got a proposition for you. Let's make a movie about fighter pilots, a documentary. Um, and, you know, that was the genesis of the film. So I, the genesis was I wanted to tell a great story about naval aviation, and it turned out to be a documentary. Okay, I got to commend you for, uh, for one, for having that giant vision like that. Uh, and, and two, for following through. Because, I mean, it, it reminds me of when I was at J.O. on my very first deployment uh, before you guys were even born, certainly before Megan was born. Um, <laughs> and, and we were sitting there in uh, Mid-Rats eating. Um, and, and on that carrier, Mid-Rats was breakfast. And one of the Rios in the uh, one of the squadrons was was sitting there writing things down. And somebody goes, what are you writing? He goes, I'm making notes. He goes, this is a great environment. I'm writing down what people say and characteristics and stuff. He goes, this is a well, I don't think he ever and I'm not going to say the guy's name, but I don't he never did anything with it, you know. But it shows that, you know, a lot of guys in naval aviation, especially in the Tomcat community, realize this is just cool. Yeah, I mean, I always, um, I always had this perspective when I was in the Navy, m- more active duty than in the reserves. But like, I felt like this was such an incredibly unique uh, and exciting world, and I always felt very privileged to be a part of it. And I, I was very conscious of that. Um, and I always knew that eventually I'd, I'd try to tell a good story about it. You know, not like like we said earlier, nothing embarrassing or, or critical, just, right. and this, just by its very nature, this drama is incredible. So I never took notes, but I, I, I kept a lot of it up here. Yeah. Well, how did you, uh, what about funding? I mean, how, I mean, it had to have cost you a lot of money. How'd you come, how'd you do that? Uh, so I raised, um, a bunch of money from uh, friends and family to get what's called the sizzle reel. And the sizzle reel is actually great. It's, it's a, it's on YouTube. It's called uh, The Last of the Dogfighters. Uh, and you can check it out. It's super fun. It's really, uh, it, it's originally when we started the documentary, we thought it was going to be just about VF- VFC 13 in Fallon, uh, who was at the time the last uh, real adversary squadron in the Navy. Um, sorry, Omars. Uh, and uh, real. so this is a real, it's, yeah, <laughs> it's a 12 minute long uh, concept. Uh, that we, you know, I raised a bunch of money from folks to make, and we used that to both entice the Navy uh, to let us tell a story because we're independent production, um, and there's more on that later, and then also to raise money from people. Um, and eventually, I had to, I had to go out uh, to individual investors. I found this one guy, Mike Homer, who ended up being our executive producer, and unfortunately passed away right when the movie was over. But he was our angel. I mean, this guy came in and, and um, he understood what we were trying to do. He had this great vision about marketing and distribution and sales. And, um, you know, he helped raise the rest of the money. And it was a big budget. It was a million and a half dollars, which is a massive budget for a documentary. Uh, and most of that, if you've seen the movie, you know that it you know, went to paying for jet fuel. Basically, we, we spent most of that on gas. 
Well, okay. So did you have to uh, pay the Navy back for the, uh, the fuel that was used to film or, or did you guys leverage scheduled training flights? Both. Uh, we okay. would, um, anytime. So our, our deal with the Navy was anytime, uh, there was a regularly scheduled flight, uh, we could throw some cameras in and there's a ton of that in the movie. Um, and it, when we would dedicate some assets and this, we did this over the course of uh, two separate shoots up in Fallon, um, and off the boat, or actually, no, those were not off the boat, um, uh, in Fallon, essentially, um, we would have to pay, you know, there's a, literally an hourly rate uh, that the government puts out for all its assets for film companies. And the Tomcat, I'll never forget this, was something like $14,500 per hour. You know, and the F5 was $3,000 per hour. That was the that was the film rate to rent these planes. And man, it was, I'll tell you, stressful. Like you you take off and you're waiting for people to rejoin to set up a shoot. And you're like, oh my God, that just cost me you know, $7,000. <laughs> Holy crap, there goes our budget. Yeah. So uh, it was pretty. Uh, it was pretty intense, um, you know, dealing with that financial aspect uh, aside from the permissions from the military, from the Navy. Wow. Now, how about the uh, approval process? You you talked about basically like a, a teaser film to get the Navy involved. Obviously, you had to go through Chinfo or something like that. Who ultimately decided? And you know, yeah. were, were there any like was there any like really stress points of just getting to yes? Yeah. Yeah, it was incredibly stressful. Um, so it turns out uh, there's two different uh, departments uh, in Chinfo that deal with approvals for, you know, documentaries and film and stuff like that. One of them's in DC and they do all the non-scripted. Um, and then the other one's in LA and they handle all the scripted stuff. And our film, our filming dealt with both, right? So I, I just discussed that, you know, anytime we threw a camera in a plane that was scheduled, um, that was free, but we had to, a big part of the movie was recreating all these great dogfights and, and other stuff that was going on. And, you know, we wanted the visuals to really be eye popping, to be as good or better than Top Gun. Um, and so we had to do, I had to deal with both of these departments and the one in, in, uh, DC was like, absolutely. This is great. We love you guys. This is awesome. So within a month we had permission to do all the documentary stuff. Um, and it took me, so the, the F-14 went away in, uh, what was it, September 2006, I think was the last flight. The last Fallon debt was in June of 2006. I got, and I, I, there's a wall right here where I would bang my head against the wall <laughs> every day for eight hours a day, calling people to say, hey, I'm doing this documentary. Can we uh, use your assets? No. Well, can I talk to your boss? Sure. And I did that literally for two and a half years. Uh, and I finally was able to talk to uh, the, the air boss down in San Diego. Um, and I went in and talked to him for 10 minutes. I had kneeboard cards with all the maneuvers that we were going to be filming, everything down to the knots, incredible detail. And he just looked at our sizzle reel. He listened to me talk for about five minutes. He watched, I, I showed him the kneeboard pack and he's like, this is great. Two thumbs up. And I literally like the stress just like flushed out of me. I, I it was unclear whether we were going to be able to get this, you know, this footage. And we had promised all our investors all this footage, so there was a, a, a tremendous amount of stress uh, on that level. Uh, who, who was that, Air Boss? Was it Admiral Zortman? It was Zortman. Yeah. 
but I'll, I'll tell you, man, I was like, it was, it was super stressful. Um, and and the, one of the biggest problems was there had never been an independent film approved by the Navy, right? So everything else ever approved by DOD and Navy has Paramount behind it or some other big production studio and distribution system. And, um, you know, we were just this plucky little independent film that was coming up with a couple, you know, a million and a half bucks that wanted to tell a good story. And uh, they didn't, they had no idea what to, to make of us. So the easiest answer is always no, right? Like, and, yeah. and you just have to fight your way through the nose. And that, that sucked. But obviously, yeah. finally, in the end, it came through. So Vargas, how'd you hear about the movie? And, and how'd you get roped into it? Well, when I was um, in the rag, it was, it was so small at that point because the last classes were going through that there was a fighter debt to Key West and my class was in WCS. But because that was basically all the instructors going, the WCS class went down as well. And that's when the Saints were in Key West as the adversaries for the, the fighter debt. So Peyton was there and doing some video and, and I was- I was like, there too. I didn't, yeah. I do not want to be token girl. Like I don't, I'm, <laughs> I'm stiff arming this thing like beyond all recognition. And then um, it's funny cause it's in the, it's in the movie, but the first time I talked to Peyton, she just happened to jump in the van that was taking us back to the, the queue after flight ops. And be she okay. just started asking me some questions. Yeah. Um, and you can tell I'm in a van she's asking me, you know, whatever. But so I started talking to her and then she kind of said, Hey, can you come in and let me just interview you for like an hour? And I was like, all right, I, but like, and what I really respected is Peyton had been avoiding me because she didn't want to have a token female either. So we had been unanimously like yeah. <laughs> staying away from each other. It's pretty um, funny. Yeah. yeah. There was a lot of stereo, sorry to interrupt, but there was a no, lot of stereotypes that we were trying to avoid. Yeah. Um, you know, we didn't, we didn't want, we just wanted to tell a real true story. Uh, mm-hmm. And it turns out that uh, Megan, as you can tell, if you watch the movie was irresistible. So <laughs> flattery gets you everywhere with me, Paco. Um, <laughs> So I talked to her. I really um, still have a great friendship with Peyton and I just really trusted and enjoyed talking to her. And then she ended up coming back to me and saying, Hey, we're, you know, cause at that point they were there for the saints and Paco can correct me, but it was just because the saints were there that she was there. And then they sort of pivoted and they said, we think the real story here is with these green, like excited at the beginning of their career people. Um, and so we want to pivot to the students. And so she was following a handful of students. Um, and she said, you know, because I've asked her, like, well, why me? Because we both <laughs> didn't want the token woman. And she just said, you just, you wouldn't, you were really honest. You're really transparent. You weren't trying to act cool. You would just be like, I got my ass kicked, but it was really cool. Like, I don't know what happened. <laughs> I think I downed the flight, but it was really, fun. you know, it was really fun. Whereas she just joked around that a bunch of the guys would be like, yeah, you know, I did this. And then I was, you know, just trying to <laughs> come off a certain way. And I just, I didn't care. Um, so I think she was just drawn to the fact that I'd give it to her straight. Um, and then eventually, you know, two stories sort of filtered to the top of the, of the, of the film, which was Jay's stories and my story. Yeah, that is really cool. I mean, I had no idea that that's how it all evolved. It didn't really start out with that end in mind, but. Uh, yeah, I and, think I was and, like, I wasn't even on a plan, but I was like plan Sierra or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it was just pivoted and eventually just came over to me. Yeah, I mean, like Megan said, the film started off being about the Saints because that's where I was, and that was it turned out to be. Uh, it, it, we thought it was going to be such a cool story, like the Jedi's of dogfighting in the right, desert. and that is a cool story. I can see how that yeah. would appeal. Okay, right, but you know, documentaries are a live animal, and you and you follow what happens. Uh, and literally, Peyton was watching. There's these things called dailies where you know you watch 
all the film that you took that day and you just kind of scroll through it and see what's popping. And she was like, man, you know, the saints are cool, but these students are phenomenal. They're electric. They're so excited. You know, maybe we should follow them more, make it an equal story about saints and them. And I'm like, well, I don't know. The saints are so much cooler than these frag students. They're so lame. <laughs> yeah, but you're, you're like, well, we could, we could interview these young people or we could interview Buckethead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bucket yeah. is like the best narrator for that movie. Oh my God, narrator, that voice. Yeah. Gravely voice of doom. But anyway, I mean, it, it quickly became obvious that, you know, there's this one of the things you'd like to have in a story is what's called an arc, you know, beginning, middle and end. And the students have this very clearly definable arc. Um, you know, they're young and excited. They go through all these trials and tribulations. And at the end of it, they, they go to CQ and they complete or don't complete their training. Uh, and that's what we thought after after. After that Key West debt, that's what we thought the movie was going to be about, just rag training. And then obviously that was just two thirds of the movie because these guys kept giving us so much more material, they just wouldn't quit. Uh, and so it was more, you know, that the first deployments became really integral to that third act of the film. Okay, so let's go back to uh, Megan again when the when the film started and when you emerge as, you know, one of the points of interest. Uh, did you find that this was distracting to your rag training or, or interrupted or anything, or did it just, did you just kind of take it on and like, okay. No, I mean, I think we're, we're so lucky because really the way, aside from when there'd be a small crew that would come out to set up the cameras and the jets, it was just Peyton. Like Peyton had a video or a camera. She didn't have anyone else with her. She did most of the, like the filming by herself. So it was wow. really low like you just wouldn't even know it. She would just be Low there. Like, oh yeah, yeah. That, that woman's here again, you know? And she would just be like, Hey, let me pull you over here in this room where no one's at and ask you some questions or like, you know, yeah. sneakily have the camera there and it's on. And I don't even know it. Like, <laughs> and I'm just sort of talking. Well, also we were still following about a dozen, maybe not a dozen, but a but number what? seven, seven pilots yeah. at the time. And you know, we, we didn't, we didn't know what the story was going to be. Yeah. Uh, we didn't know it was just going to be Jay and Megan for a while. It was, you know, a half dozen of these guys who were all were fairly interesting. Um, I think the biggest thing, I don't think it was a distraction, but I also think you've got a bunch of alpha personalities and no one's going to be like, come videotape me, but everybody wants to be the, the center of attention. So yeah. when I showed up to the rag and I'll never forget it. Cause I mean, I, I was at the Naval Academy where there were like 25% women and there's just a lot, it wasn't a thing. And then I was in flight school and there were women and then I got to Kingsville and I was like, oh, there's nobody here but me because the last girl just left. And that's a little weird, but all the instructors totally treated me exactly like all the guys. So I still didn't really notice it. And then other women showed up. But then I got to the Tomcat rag. The very first person I met from the rag said, what are you doing here? They blacklisted women from flying, flying this airplane. And I was like, hello, nice to meet you too. And then all of a sudden there's people videotaping me. So I already had this like weird spotlight. So it wasn't like... Peyton and Paco and the whole team were super undercover, like very respectful and not distracting, but it was just one more thing for some people, I think, to resent or like, be like, why are they following the girl? You know, like that part of it. And I don't say that that was like high on a one to 10 spectrum, but that I, I would say was more of a thing. I would get comments from men who I think wish that they were the ones being videotaped. You know what I mean? I'm like, I don't, I, I can't help you there. Like, I can't help with your ego problems. That that is that is uh, fascinating, and uh, I, 
Just just to add some background, my wife never watched the movie before, and I've been married to my wife for a long time, so she's been through you know three fighter squadrons and everything else. But she watched it with me just the other day, and uh, she thought you were just another fighter pilot, basically. So, you, which is good, yeah. You know? That's totally. what you. I, that's what I you mean, want. And that scene that came across to me from watching it. That's what you wanted to be, and. Yeah. So there you go. So so on that note, if I can interrupt, by sorry. So I was rewatching this afternoon, and there was a note in there that somebody had said, "Hey, you were the only active F fourteen pilot female type at at the time, or something like that." And I like had to hit pause, and I sat there and I went, "I don't think that's right." And I started like ripping off names in my head, and I'm like, "I'm like, well, okay, all right." Okay. And, and, yeah. and in the end, I was like, well, I guess because they've all transitioned or they're in TPS yeah. or whatever. Cause I was like, well, what about Carrie Kuykendall? Yeah. She yeah. was, I'm like, no, she was yeah. in TPS. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. So, yeah. and I was like, yeah, wow. Yeah. Okay. Which actually is a testament because to the community, because I was like, I don't think that's true. There was more of them. No, there weren't. Yeah, no, they're, they're, them. People have asked me for 20 years, like, Oh, how many women flew Tomcats? And I'm like, I don't know. I was like, I can think of six. I think I've counted seven. And I was like, I think it's less than 10. I don't, I don't think there were that many. And, and it was just, yeah, by the time I got there, there were what, I can't remember when I came to the rag, I think there were like eight or nine squadrons left, but that was it. And I just remember like people come up to me at the, at the O club, we'd be drinking. And I was an ensign too. I got through flight school really fast. So that was abnormal as well. And they'd be like, we heard there was a female ensign pilot. Like what? <laughs> Like, you know, it was like a unicorn. They're like, what is this thing over here? And I'm just hammered at the club. Like, what's that? And she's also a movie star. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Megan, I'll also say that I remember there was one time when uh, when I remember Peyton came on. We were at the ship. Yeah. She came on and set up to watch a brief or something like that. Yeah, it's just whatever. I, I may have yeah. the details wrong. It may have been at the hangar, but I feel like it was at the ship. And I remember going, "Hey, what's going on? Oh, we're doing filming. Yeah, am I am I in frame? Because I don't want to be." <laughs> and I yeah. remember a bunch of us going, "All right, so uh, how do we make sure we're not in frame? So because right. we don't want to be in this movie, whatever it is." Yeah, yeah. no, I, <laughs> I will mean, say that instinct. You never want to be in any. Yeah. Well, again. But you, but there are people who are like, I don't want to be on that, but I do. Like, that's yeah. right. <laughs> want to say they don't want to be on it, but then yeah, their like, hair is no, all done. No, 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 like, no, yeah, no. Yeah. Oh, please, please. Oh, I fell into frame. Here I am. Totally. totally. <laughs> well, uh, okay. So Paco, that, wait, wait. Paco was going to say something. I think. Oh, good. I was going to say that that was that was the thing that we had to overcome the most with the aviators was that just that sense of trust. Like we're not going to embarrass you. We're not going to humiliate you. We're not going to make you look stupid. This we're just trying to tell like the real story of who we are. Um, so every once in a while, I mostly, and I wish Peyton were here uh, because she really needs her due. Like she, she is the director extraordinaire um, for making this film uh, come to life. She, like Megan said, would show up all by herself. She was her own sound person, which is very rare. Uh, she did all her own, you know, marking of the tapes and stuff like that, which she hates doing. Um, you know, she's used to managing a hundred different people and having them all do everything other than the directing part. Um, so huge, huge kudos to Peyton for not only showing up and doing all this work, but being able to gain the trust of a really suspicious, cynical bunch of 
naval aviators. <laughs> Uh, and, and and find that, you know, the, the honest core of the story, right? Because there's a lot of screens that we throw up, not just, you know, trying to avoid the camera, but if you're on camera, you know, the sort of the sports answers, you know, like I'm just looking to hit the ball and be a team player and, you know, make it to the next game or whatever. You know, we've, we've all talked to the press before and had those stock answers and to sort of break through that and be able to to get that, that honest kernel um, that really is what makes the you movie. Know, I watched some of the scenes at the at the O Club when guys were and, yeah. and some guys are making spectacles of themselves and other guys. And I'm sitting there going, you know, I used to love going to the O Club. I mean, I went to the yeah. O Club a lot, especially when I was a J.O. And I love yeah. all the camaraderie and everything. But if somebody had showed up there with a camera, I'm sitting there going like that would have just like skewed yeah. everything. And I'm so glad I wasn't involved yeah. in that because well, well to, you know it's to, kind of funny because that oak club scene at that patching uh i don't remember that getting filmed and i'm watching this i'm like hey that's me i was there <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. when did when did that happen i don't remember it yeah, yeah it was just like a little thing it was very unintrusive and she like i think she's such a genuine person right like she really was connecting with people and i remember when she came to me because like as far as my story arc went we had a lot of footage and then I mean, I did, I did well in the rag. I didn't have any issues in the rag with anything. And then when I got into workups about halfway through, I started having some real struggles with my, my landing grades and, and that perpetuated for the first few months of my deployment. And I remember getting home from deployment and she like, just her ability to sit down and say, Hey, I really think we should talk about this in the film. And that's obviously, you know, is it hard to be like, let me put out like my biggest failure in life on the film that all these people are going to see where right now yeah. my story arcs like badass chick getting stuff done. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I mean, Megan, I just got goosebumps because literally like that is the coolest part of the film because, and we're all naval aviators. We've all seen this. There are people who lose, you know, like to, I hate to quote Top Gun the movie, but they lose the edge, right? There's yeah. people, we all know people that DQ'd or that, that were on a downward spiral and they had to get kicked out. And I don't know many people who went down and literally pulled themselves up by their own bootstraps. Like that to me is one of the most inspirational movies or moments in the movie. And I know I tell you this, I tell you it all the time. Whenever I have some sort of frustration in life, I'm like, well, fuck, if Megan could do it, I can do it. <laughs> you know? I'm not lying. Well, That's so that. true because it, it it's it's almost it you know as you're watching it you could look at it as oh wow here's a story about how a failure or almost failure in reality it's a story of success because you're like yeah, yeah but what happens next and it's yeah. absolutely amazing because yeah. you know there's a lot of people who who go through that and that's a story that's not told very often no. yeah and, and that that mental aspect when you when you lose sorry, I'll, I'll let you but but you know we've seen it I was an LSO I dealt with these you know ish, issues all the time. And I never really saw anybody recover from it except Megan. Um, and she did awesome. by herself. But yeah. point being, that's because Peyton was really good at her job. And she's a, just a phenomenal person, a phenomenal director. She made people feel comfortable. And she felt made me feel comfortable enough to say, you're right. People like this can be a learning. This can be cathartic for me. This can also be something that helps other people who are in a bad place, like come out of it. And I felt safe and secure that I could have these interviews with her. And if I was like, dude, that came off, not the way I wanted to come off. I want to refilm that. Or like, please don't use that. I felt complete trust that she was not, she was going to be respectful of what I needed to be comfortable. Um, which I wouldn't have done it if that wasn't the case. So I think if another director had attempted to do it, yeah. might not have gotten the same story. Yeah. Well, in terms of this interview, 
if you ask us not to use something, you can trust us. Unless it's really <laughs> funny, then we're going to use it anyway. So, yeah. Well, I will say that we had the same we had the same sort of caveat with our our film folks. We're like, anything you want out, but there was a couple things where we we sort of twisted the arm a little bit. Like, oh, this is good. Just just trust us. You'll come up okay. <laughs> Crunch. <laughs> Crunch. You know, you said no. Keep that in, Scott. Keep that in. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So it's funny you were talking about trust. You know, trust with naval aviators and a skeptical bunch. You know, one of the things. That's as I was sitting here thinking about this, preparing for this discussion, I put on my, you know, if, if I were CEO at the time, put that hat on, I would be very distrustful, right? Mm -hmm. If I were, especially if I were the rag CEO, I would be yeah. very distrustful of any film crew. Did you have, uh, and not because I didn't trust you, but just because I'm like, look, we've got a mission here and you've got yeah. your little project and that's cute and all, but we've got a mission and it's very expensive and I can't afford to have you know, I can't afford to have Vargas de derailed because there's a camera interface, right? I can't afford that. How did you 100%. get past that? Who did you ever have that problem? The whole time, yeah. Because I mean, we we filmed for uh, I think what four years, Megan? Yeah, uh, three or four years. It was a long time. It was, time. A long, it was yeah. supposed to be eight, 18 months, and I think we went on for about four years. Um, so we had multiple COs that that we dealt with. Uh, I knew a few of them. I you know I didn't know all of them. Um, I had I think a good enough you know, reputation in the Navy that I was able to leverage that a little bit. Um, and I had some, some champions like Buckethead. We, we, we make fun of Buckethead a little bit, but we love him. Oh yeah. Um, great dude. Great guy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Just an amazing guy. And he was a super big champion for, you know, me and Peyton and the film and, and the kids in it. And so we had a lot of people that were um, trusted in the business that, that put forth, that we were doing something positive. We we were on a mission to shine a light on how great naval aviation is, and the Tomcat, as it turns out, but really naval aviation, um, and that's what our goal was, and and to do it in an unvarnished and honest uh, but positive way. And so I think ultimately that that won the day. But yeah, I mean, I had I I spent a lot of time dealing with skippers and their nose. Crunch when we were in two thirteen. We were doing workups and we were doing um, a, like bombing missions in what was it Pine, Pine Castle? What was it in in you know what I mean around Jacksonville? And yeah. I had a, I had a, um, like an early drop and, and the 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 bomb went off the range and I get back, but that happened to be one of the flights where we had a camera in the in the jet. And the first thing, like I think Slave Boy, like I think it was Slave Boy, like they were pissed and like I'm getting grilled and like well, you know was this because there was a, a video camera in that jet? Were you just trying to get the seat? And I was like, I didn't even realize it was there. I'm a nugget. I just fucked it up. Like, I just, yeah. I just made a mistake. I promise you. And I, I would have wanted to look much cooler on video. Like, yeah. And to their credit, I mean, all the all the skippers had the right concerns in mind, right? And and you yeah. said it, Crunch. Like, there's a mission here. Everybody and everybody's lives are at risk, right? I mean, if you're, how many times have we uh, lost a Tomcat in a photo X, right? Ooh. Ooh, a yes. lot of times. Well, the lost right? Tomcat in what? In a photo X, like oh. VF thirty one, where hey, yeah, where, watch where they, this. Where they went up and they did the. Yeah, right. you yeah. guys can't. So, you should have seen some of the ones that went on before you guys joined the fleet. Sure, right, but I'm saying there's oh, a yeah. lot of. And I mean, we all it's knew been going on. Yeah, 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 yeah. We all knew, and you know, we had uh, there was a moment where we were filming the sizzle reel. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, where somebody literally said. 
watch this on camera. And we almost, we came like, I scared the crap out of me. I was in the backseat holding the camera and I deleted that film. Yeah. yeah good well, call. That's what, that's what they used to say. What, it, are the, was, what are the uh, two words? What are the two words that Rio hates to hear? Watch this. Exactly. <laughs> That's right. I, I bet my Rio's hated to hear when I said, oh, shit, especially oh, if you yeah. had at night. <laughs> oh, shit. What? Oh, I just dropped my pen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, my. I, I just had like 17 scenes go through my head just now where I'm like, oh, those are all so funny. I, yeah. Bio, we need to have like an outtake where I, where we just tell stories about things like this. Yeah. We're going to start off with little feeder things like, all right, Paco said, oh shit, what's on your mind? Yeah. <laughs> We're going to have like all these stories. It was, a, it was either I dropped my pen or my green filter or no, the red filter came off the uh, the ADI. Oh my <laughs> oh, God. Shit, what? The red right, came off. <laughs> crisis, especially if it fell on the floor and you're like, oh no, now what? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so for the audience, what that means is we were flying at night. The filter made the light go down to like 5% of normal, whatever. And then yeah. if that thing came off, the pilot's blinded by this bright light. On a, on a night cat shot at, you know, 60 feet. And you're like, oh, shit. What? what? It's like you're completely blinded. You can't see. And then you got to get it. And the, the darn filter's underneath the ejection seat. And yeah. the only way you can little- reach it's a little yeah. flat piece of plastic, so yeah. and you're wearing gloves probably. And yeah, it, yeah, that's right. It was like basically like a six inch by nine inch piece of plastic, colored plastic, and you try to pick this thing off the floor. You couldn't reach the floor because you're strapped in. The only way to do it was to unstrap from the parachute and reach down to pull this thing up, get it back in, and then punch back in when you're not doing it 500 feet. So you're just driving yeah. down like blind, you know? Like oh my god. <laughs> Why didn't we tie strings to those filters? I mean, I had a string on my pen on my kneeboard all the time. I, I, I don't know. There was there was that little Velcro strap. You remember you you like clip it in, and there's like a little Velcro strap that you were supposed to put over, but sometimes yeah. it would break. Yeah, yeah. I think I think we didn't like flying at night so much that we just ignored it. <laughs> Well, it was too late by then. Wait, you'd be yeah. like, you'd be like, you'd be on the cat shot. Oh, it's really dark out. Oh, I dropped my filter. Jets down. <laughs> Launch the spare. Launch the spare. <laughs> and that's, what's, you know, what's it, wrong? It, it, and back when I was the J.O., Debo Dabowski would keep getting launched to the spare every time Crunch went down on the night cat shot. So, Debo, if you're watching, I remember. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> all right so oh man that's funny um, well, me, so oh go ahead bio vargas you were one of the last pilots to go through f-14 training and i and i think your comment about the uh the rag shrinking down because the classes were going away i mean that's just hard for me to believe because the whole every time i went through the rag it was like you know a big machine cranking people out and stuff for uh, i mean at first there were 20 fleet squadrons and then later there were you know less than 20 but a lot of squadrons. So, so think back to you're a nugget pilot in the rag. What for you was the hardest part about learning to fly the big fighter, the Tomcat? I mean, was it, was it ACM? And, and I don't mean the one you dread the most thinking about it, but I mean, think back. Was it carrier landing? Was it tanking? Was it, you know, I mean, 
it, like, truth be told, I did well in the rag. Like I didn't have one part in the rag where I struggled. My struggle started in the fleet, but I will say in the rag, the one that I guess that pops to my mind most is when we tanked for the, like, and that was the first time we tanked. I remember we had to get six plugs, I think. And I got like six plugs out of eight tries or something. I was like, bam, in, bam, in, bam, in. I was like, woohoo, yeah. And I remember getting down. I'm good at this. I'm good. I'm a natural. No problem. And we were taking off an S3 or something. And I remember getting back and I think I, I think it was Hack Williams. who was one of our flag, our rag instructors, phenomenal pilot. Um, but I remember he was like, he debriefed, he gave me so much shit in that debrief. And I was like, what? He's like, you were coming in too quick. And, blah, blah, blah. and I'm like, why didn't you say something when we were up there? I'm not nailing it. You know, <laughs> he's like, if you do that on a big wing, you're going to rip your probe. Like, he was just like all over my ass in the debrief. And I remember like after that, that was, a, that was like a memory from the rag where I thought, Ooh, like didn't do well there. You know, like <laughs> meanwhile, later on, I became a shit hot tanker because I was so bad at landing on the boat. I hit the tanker all the time. So <laughs> <laughs> Nature's way of compensating, you know? Yeah. You gotta be good at one. <laughs> <laughs> I can always do the best. <laughs> right. Oh. Hey, so so Megan, question for you. So in a typical week, you know, you were as you were doing this in the rag and in the fleet, how how often did you see a camera? How often would Peyton show up and, and she would just be there it? for bursts? It would be like, oh, Peyton's gonna be in this week. And we would have some interviews and she would, maybe there'd be stuff in the jet. Not always. A lot of times it would just be, she's interviewing and talking to me before and after flights. So I met her in WCS. Um, which is a phase. She, WCS. Phase. Yeah. Weapons control system. is a phase in the rag. Basic intercepts. Um, and then I don't even think, Paco, tell me if I'm wrong. I don't think she came to my fighter debt. I don't think you guys nope. were there because I had no. some epic flights that would have been hysterical to interview on. Um, Where was your fighter debt? Was it in Key West as well? Um, and then I saw her CQ. She was out of CQ and we had cameras for CQ. And then it was when I was in workups. And I would say in workups, ah, shit, I mean, not four or five times. Again, it was bursts. She would come bursts and I would just which made sense, right? Um, yeah. It was, yeah. It was just fairly low key. And the squadron got used to seeing her and they'd be like, oh, she's taking bargains. Except I yeah. didn't say that. Just my nugget friends. <laughs> I mean, well, it, it, obviously, so now there were cockpit scenes. And, yeah. uh, how were, I have no idea how the cameras were set up. It was, um, I mean, like, it's so funny because now people's GoPros are probably way better. But it was literally just like yeah. a little camera right up here by the canopy on the side. You literally like you wouldn't you wouldn't notice it. Like at first you'd be like, "What's that thing?" And then you'd be like, "Oh, it's the camera." And then it just was not yeah. in your field of view. It wasn't in your scan. So yeah, you this was it. long before GoPros. So yeah. that's that's the crazy thing. So it must have been pretty. Yeah, but they were small. Time. I mean, I've watched cops for many years, and they have lipstick cams that they yeah. put in undercover cars. Yeah, and they say, "Oh, it's a tweeter," you know, part of the stereo system, but it's really a camera. Sorry, yeah. cops, if I'm giving away. <laughs> but uh, so there were some small cameras, but but Crunch, I'm glad you asked that because I watched that today, and I'm going, "Where did they get those? They they had yeah. to be some of the earlier." Go we ahead, Paco. Guy, you get the real gouge. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we had this guy who we were so lucky to get. His name is Eric Hildebrandt, and he now works at Pax River. Uh, you, you guys probably know him because he, he made a bunch of really amazing um, photography books, naval aviation photography books. Um, gorgeous. I, which, which Bio and I both have on our bookshelf. Oh, there it is right there. there. So that's, that's Eric Hildebrandt. And he was our camera guy. He, along with a guy named John Barons, um, 
But Eric did a bunch of the boat debts and he would work in the plane a lot. And he came up with some unbelievable solutions. Uh, and, and like you guys already mentioned, we missed HD by a couple of years. So we, all of our little cameras with the lipstick cams, like they're standard def, which sucks. I mean, like if somehow technology had been a little accelerated, we would have gotten incredible, incredible footage. But as it turns out, it was, it was still quite good. It, it, um, well, it was just so early and so expensive. It, when the the yeah. year the Tomcat was going away, HD was brand new, right? We yeah. didn't, we weren't flying around with little tiny HD cameras. They're big. No, we so we we had a mix of HD and SD. All the stuff inside the cockpit is SD, and yeah. and then when we were filming all the stuff like in Fallon uh, at Fairview Peak, where we're, we're standing on top doing the filming of like all the the, the dogfight sequences, those are a million dollar. HD cameras. The le- actually the lenses themselves were six feet long, and they were million dollars each. And we had two of them, um, and the insurance on that was insane. Um, so yeah, we had, we had this mix of HD and SD, which uh, unfortunately we missed the internal HD just by probably twenty four months. But yeah, Eric Eric Hildebrandt was just a master of of putting the the, cam- the cameras in really specific and interesting places and at night for the night stuff he had a ir camera so there there was like this uh braid of little ir illuminators and he put that right where the hud is and then there was a camera somewhere so you know megan and jay are getting bathed by this ir light and the camera's picking up their their you know night trap faces so oh that's awesome that that explains it because i yeah i mean there's some great footage in there and you know we um, I, I have to say, you know, if, as you look at the, the footage in your movie that you guys made here in reality, if you compare that to the original Top Gun movie, or you compare it to the final countdown, the flying scenes in this are so much better. The footage is so much better. The, the in cockpit footage is so much better. I mean, I know the rest of it's Hollywood and it's staged for a storyline, but this is, it's real. It's so realistic and so good. I had forgotten how good it was until I was rewatching it going, dang, that's, they did a great job on that. If I'd had another couple million bucks crunch, it could have been even better (laughs) (laughs) to do with what I had. Well, I I just got to say, I mean, it was, it's really good. So the folks who are listening and watching to this, he just might not be, oh, he's got himself a Modelo's. Excellent. Uh, But the folks watching this or listening to this, they may not. Some folks may not have seen or even heard of the movie, right? I mean, it's it it, it was never in theaters. It was uh, uh, YouTube to Amazon, right? Am I right on that? Uh, it- no, it was never on YouTube. It was never. on uh, Amazon and uh, Prime. Prime. Oh, okay. I, all right. Excuse me. I, I'm sorry. Uh, iTunes. iTunes. Wasn't it on Delta? Didn't you get it on Delta? It was Delta? on Delta too. Yeah, yeah. It was on Delta as well. For I a feel like someone's years, like, actually. I just watched your movie on my flight. Yeah. Uh, we gotta, yeah. that's, oh, that's cool. So you can, you can, so if you're flying Delta, you're saying that you can get that through the streaming and flight service. I'm, I'm very yeah. excited. That, yeah, it, was know, a, it was a while ago, not anymore. Yeah. But, you know, uh, for, right. It was on for a couple of years. It, you know. at, at American, you know, we're, we're just strictly like the big theater stuff as far as I know. But uh, in yeah. any case, that that's pretty cool. I tell you, the, the uh, like I said, the footage, the, the, it is so much the it is so much better. It is so much more realistic, so much more accurate, so much more exciting to watch what you guys did than any of the stuff in, in like the original top, which the original top gun is like, that's the gold standard, right. Of, yeah. of Tomcat movies. And yours is so much better. Cause it really gives everybody, we have a lot of folks who watch, who are, um, you know, some folks who, who listen and watch 
are old Tomcat pilots, Tomcat Rios, or or maintainers, and have seen this and 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 know about it. And then there are some who have never flown it. And I think it's fair to say that your product is a much better representation of what it's like than anything else that's out there. That's my take. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that was our, honestly, that was our uh, working title was the real Top Gun. I mean, obviously yeah. we couldn't use that as a release title, but yeah. that was our goal. Like this is, this is the real, the real shit. Well, I think you succeeded. I think that's awesome. Yeah. Okay. Well, since we're, since we're commending, when, when I first heard about Speed and Angels, I was going like, oh, it's an F-14 Rio. Why am I going to watch a movie about F-14s, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then this pilot that I knew recommended it to me, and he goes, bio, he goes, it's really good. And so I watched it, and I tell him, Paco, this earlier, that uh, I watched it. This was years ago, shortly after it came out, and I was impressed. I loved it. I mean, we're I was very impressed. I enjoyed it. And uh, so, uh, you know, if you're in our audience, like Crunch just said, you got to watch. If you're if you're watching our podcast, you got to watch this movie because you'll love the movie too. It is uh, not only is it real, is it a documentary, but it's it it's well done. It's got beautiful scenes. I mean, I like the the photos of the F five. The F five looks so. You guys captured what? Well, and now now that you're telling us uh, that it started out as you know a F five movie or a VFC thirteen movie, now it's making sense. See, I never heard that before before yeah. today and uh so now it's like oh the pieces are falling into place but yep. of course well, I think too like it would there would have been a very easy ability to slip into cheesy on this movie like to have it just not come across the right way and i think it really comes down to the editing and peyton and paco and the work that they were doing that really depicted and what i loved about it and, and peyton used to say this but the story, like for all intents and purposes, isn't about fighter pilots. It's just about two people that really had a dream to do something. And they figured out against whatever odds how to do it. And that story translates to anything. And I think that's why it really resonates and why it's not cheesy and it's very genuine. And I think that's why people enjoy it. Because I think a lot of people who've come through the ranks, like all four of us have, have a similar story. They have a story of wanting something that was hard and figuring out how to do it um, and not like accepting no. And I think that that just speaks to a lot of people. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It is a universal, a pair of universal stories. Yeah. Yeah. Except yeah. not everyone's it, got the face with a gun, but I mean, aside from that part. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Thankfully. That's, yeah. Yeah. That's okay. That's a unique storyline. I mean, it's like, Okay. Yeah. All right. Yep. Never been shot in the face. You got me on that one. All right. The first time I heard I'm, that. And you know what? You get it. You win. You win. Yeah. I'm good. Exactly. I'm not going to compete with that. Yep. Yeah. Jay, Jay uh, it's too bad he's not here because he's got multiple brushes with, you know, the Grim Reaper. He and has come out laughing. So, uh, but that's the most extreme. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes, it is. Well, cool. So let me, um, so Megan, what do you guys, what are you doing these days? I know we had our, you know, you're pretty busy. I am busy. Yeah. I've been working for Amazon for coming on four years. I'm a senior manager. I work with Amazon Web Services. Um, and I finally, you know, I feel like as we all leave our active duty time and transition to something, and maybe everyone does this regardless of their military, but you're kind of like, what do I want to do when I grow up? <laughs> what am I good at? What do I like? And what I, what I realized, it's funny, after a few years within Amazon, 
I realized that I really like any work that's caring for the troops. Like I have been resonating and pulled to teams within Amazon that focus on caring for our internal teams, our internal customers and getting them what they need. Um, So I've also gone in different roles around that space and I really enjoy it. Awesome. That's great. And, and you're, you're like out in what, Montana or something like yeah, that? Yeah, I'm in Whitefish, Montana. It's the northwest corner right next to Glacier National Park. It's the most spectacular place in the world. Every season is spectacular. There's I can agree. stuff you can do year round outside. Um, everyone here loves the outdoors and is super friendly. It's a small town, but everything's really close. There's an airport down the road. I mean, there's nothing you want that's not here, but don't move here. <laughs> just visit just visit okay, Megan was so nice enough it, to host our family we, so, we came out to visit them uh, a year ago it was really fun yeah. oh that's cool but did they make you sign something to say we will not move here yeah no they said right. we should sign? move there yeah you can come visit us we have room but you don't you don't you wouldn't want to be here full time it's too wonderful yeah. <laughs> so, and are you still in the Navy Reserve or did you say you just yeah no I'm still in I was going to retire but I decided to stay in um, and I work for Third Fleet um, Maritime Air Ops so we basically simulate the air um, liaison element at a CAOC or an air operations center so we support fleet exercises it's awesome I'm, suppo- I'm, I'm in a great unit a bunch of aviators so I get that nice get to go and kind of put the bag on and just you know have some beers and relive the glory days do some exercises in Hawaii a couple times a year. It's not a bum deal. Um, it's Very a great cool. way to stay connected to something that I really liked. Very nice. cool. That's yeah. awesome. How about you, Paco? What keeps you busy these days? Uh, well, I fly for Delta and um, I fly for TAC Air. Uh, so I'm back into F5s. So, and, so what are your plane? Oh, F5s. Okay. Yep. Uh, and then I, um, I wrote a book. Uh, a novel, a naval aviation novel, and I'm writing the sequel to that. And Very I'm also, good <laughs> thank you. And uh, I'm working on. Uh, and the name a, of Paco's book is Lions of the Sky. It's oh, well, it is yeah. an excellent book. And is, and as I, I've got a copy I like of it here propping my computer on it or his computer. Lions of the Sky. So was that propping up your computer just now? Yeah, three of them. <laughs> <laughs> Paco, when I finished the book, I became a Super Hornet fan. So yeah, cool. Yeah, so that's awkward. Yeah, it is awkward. <laughs> Just pump the brakes. Never say that. Wings don't move. Um, well. <laughs> no, it, it's a good book, and it's you know we were talking earlier about taking notes and, and being sort of a not a voyeur, but you know like a observer of uh, you know the what happened while we were in the Navy and. I, a lot of the stuff that happens in the novel is real. It actually happened. Um, some of it is inspired by Megan's story as well. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it's just a fun, it's a thriller. It's a naval aviation thriller, but there's a lot of, like Speed and Angels, there's a lot of granular detail and, and authenticity to it. So uh, that's kind of like the way I like telling a story. Um, and I'm writing the sequel right now. And I'm also working with a guy that uh, Bio has worked with before doing a, a DCS video game, coming up with a, um, and, and, and Megan's going to be the voice of Slick, which w- was her call sign when I knew her uh, as a young fighter pilot, uh, Slick, Slick uh, Flanagan, or no, Slick Varley. Um, and uh, so that's pretty cool, actually. That's a totally different experience for me working in. I don't, I'm not a gamer. I don't do video well, games. The, D- so. the DCS campaign, yeah, but Reflected Simulations is great to work with. Yeah, he- super cool guy. I, I give this guy tons of props because – I don't know anything about video games. I don't play video games. I don't even have a PC. I have, I'm a Mac guy, so you can't play it on a Mac. Um, 
And he is incredibly patient working with my lack of knowledge and my schedule and my busy schedule in life. So it's, it's actually really fun. Uh, writing a script for a video game is like writing a novel. I mean, I'm already on page 120 or something like that. So it's, and we're almost done. So. <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah. You have a, you're doing a lot more than I did, but mine was different. So. Yeah. Now this is a good, it's a, it's, it's actually, it's really cool. It's a mashup of Speed and Angels, the documentary and Lines of the Sky, the book. So it's, it's a rag class that goes to war with China. Uh, and there's a lot of stuff going on, and, and Megan is uh, Megan's going to play herself. Do I save the day in the video game? That's all I, I care about. As long as I look you, really cool in the video game. You you say well. I hope you do. <laughs> yes, you save the day. Megan awesome. goes through the rag, and then Megan goes through uh, and kicks China's butt. So see, I can't campaign, wait to see it. My <laughs> campaign was the Top Gun training debt to uh, Nellis Air Force Base in the 1980s. So oh, that's also very cool. Yeah, that was my comfort zone. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. All right, guys. Well, I think that's about it. Wait, wait, wait. Crunch, yeah. One last question that we always ask everybody. Oh. So so I'll ask uh I'll ask Paco first. Is there anything we didn't ask you that you wanted to tell us? You don't have to have something, but and this, gives me the, this gives me this gives me the chance to think about something. So Paco, anything that uh, we didn't ask you that uh, you wanted to say? Uh, no, I, I would like to say, though, and, and we already mentioned it, them a little bit, but Peyton and Jay are such integral parts to the documentary Speed Angels. Peyton, um, it's it's basically impossible to sing her praises enough in the making of this film. The way she ingratiated herself to the whole community um, and made herself a trusted source, uh, she, as the director, made Speed Angels what it what it was and then okay. jay i mean if you, if you watch the movie jay is just obviously a hilarious and, and exciting part of the movie as well so let me add a little bit of perspective on that i've never met peyton yep. but but uh crunch you, and and all of us can say you said she ingratiated herself yeah. and that people who are watching should realize that the tomcat community or, or any community if a person comes in and they're not genuine and sincere and they try to ingratiate themselves they'll be yeah. rejected even more enthusiastically so yeah. clearly uh peyton expressed herself you know candidly honestly to the benefit of the community and and she yeah. earned everyone's trust so that i mean it doesn't that, hurt that she's like five foot ten with a mane of curly black hair and you know a, a beautiful face and body like you know she, she had the whole package. So, you know, all the fighter pilots were. No, you can forget. She knows. She's, she's aware. She's not unaware of her. She knows she's hot. <laughs> yeah, she knows she's hot. Um, and of course, every every fighter pilot was tripping over themselves to, uh, you know, buy Peyton a drink or whatever it was. But, you know, she, she did a phenomenal job of telling the story of, of our community. Can't give her enough credit. Excellent. Yeah. And I don't, I mean, I feel like all of us can sit here and talk, see stories, and there I was, and this happened on Dead or in Port for hours and hours. Um, none that I need to share, but over a cold <laughs> beer, fun to talk about. But I do, I think um, Paco hit the nail on the head. Such a big part of the story was Peyton um, and Jay, and Peyton just, just did such a spectacular job. I mean, I, I know what it was like for my end trying to, like, be assimilated and part of this group of predominantly men sort of in like the locker room experience. But I feel like I was sort of ready for it. I'd crawl, walked around into it. She just came in, boom, like, what is this weird place? 
you know, and yeah. just figured it out because she's very genuine um, and easygoing, but also had a very clear vision um, and knew how to explain that to people uh, in a way that they could understand and they felt comfortable with. And there's just no way it would have happened without her. Megan and Paco, this was this was really even more interesting than I expected. I mean, I love doing these interviews, but this was a lot more interesting, not only talking about the movie, but talking about your experiences and Tomcat. So thanks for uh, taking the time to come to come over and talk to us. My pleasure. Thanks for having us. It was fun. Absolutely. And and like I said before, I really I, I really mean it when I say that I think that your movie that you guys put together has the best footage, the most realistic flying footage of anything out there. And for any of our listeners or watchers who have not seen it, they really need to go. And uh, uh, Paco, where can, they, where can somebody go to watch the movie? Uh, Amazon or iTunes. Amazon or iTunes. And it's not even very much. I think it's only like five bucks, right? Uh, I don't think it was even that. I think it's three ninety. Four bucks. All right, it's only yeah. four bucks. I mean, it's and uh, it, it's. Uh, I think it's about an hour and a half in length. It is absolutely. If you're a fan of the F fourteen, you have got to go see this movie. Hundred. Watch it. Watch it through the outtakes. <laughs> through the outtakes. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, the outtakes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Good tip. I'll have to. Uh, I'll have to go rewatch. I don't know that I've watched through the outtakes myself. I'll do that. But it. <laughs> Hey, thank you to both of you. Thank you uh, for, for joining us today. Thanks for taking some time off. I know that you're both very busy and may have even taken time away from family to be here. And we and all of our listeners and watchers, thank you very much. And to everybody who's tuning in, thank you for joining us on today's episode of the F14 Tomcast. Come back in two weeks for a brand new, fresh episode. And from Bio and Crunch and Paco and Vargas Megan, hey, we'll see you later. Thanks for listening to the F14 Tomcast. All right, Bio, another great interview. That was so much fun talking with Megan about some of that stuff that, uh, you know, we had flown together. We've known each other a long time. I was there when some of that stuff was getting filmed, and we had never really talked about it. So that was so much fun. I really enjoyed that. Uh, what are we doing next? Yeah, I enjoyed the backstories and behind-the-scenes insights from Speed and Angels. Plus, hearing from Megan and Paco themselves, they're just two interesting people. Okay, coming up next flying the big fighter in air shows. We talked to a pilot in Rio who are an authorized air show demo crew in the F-14. They've got some really great stories. Come back and hear it, and it's going to be here in two weeks. You've been listening to the F-14 Tomcast, part of the air combat experience brought to you by BVR Productions. Got a question for the show? Send an email to questions at f14tomcast.com or leave a message on our listener line at 877-MACH-101, extension 3. That's 877-622-4101, extension 3. For updates on this podcast and our other military aviation-themed shows, visit bvrpro.com and follow the Air Combat Experience on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.